are listening to the Journey Christian Church Podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at journeycc.net. Today's message is brought to you by Scott McFarlane. We hope you enjoy. Good morning. My name is Josh Stone, and I lead Journey Student Ministries, and I am so glad that I get to share God's Word with you this morning. Today we are continuing in our series through the Psalms called Songs to Live By. The book of Psalms is a compilation of songs sung by the ancient Hebrews, and some songs will be read at Mass Assembly, some by priests, some sung by families at different times throughout the year, while others were more personal or prayerful, meditative type songs. The Psalms aren't meant to be read once and to be done with, but rather they were something to read every day, something that would be made known intimately within our souls. Today I'd like to visit a psalm that is sung by someone who is quote-unquote in the groove. Psalm 139 is a song to live by because it is sung by a man whose surroundings don't make it particularly easy to living the great, easy, good, in-the-groove life. But he knows the secret or the process, really, to get into the groove of life regardless of his circumstances. Psalm 139 is really like a tuning fork or a metronome. Listening to the psalm while you are in the groove of life should be verifying for you. It tells you, yes, I am playing in the right key, or yes, I'm right on time. However, if you're listening to the psalm and you're not in the groove, you'll probably have some sort of a painful sound to you, a dissonance. You'll feel like there's places where you're out of tune or offbeat. Pay attention to this. Pay attention to yourself. Don't just read this psalm, but let this psalm read you. Then we'll discuss a couple components within this psalm that move us toward that groove of life. So please, turn with me in your Bibles to to Psalm chapter 139. It can be your physical Bible. It can be your phone. Psalm is going to be somewhere in the middle part of your Bible, maybe a little bit to the left. Goes Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. If you see any other names, Isaiah, Jeremiah, you know, you've gone way too far. So turn with me to, to Psalm chapter 139. And, and as you do that, I want you to consider this. While we read, pay attention to the words, but also pay attention to your gut reaction to the psalm. Does your response feel groovy? Does it feel out of tune or drowning or isolated. It's okay to feel emotions when we read scripture, especially when we're reading the Psalms. These are songs. So let's read Psalm 139. Follow along with me. And if you're, if you're at home or even uh, just watching this another time, feel free to read it out loud even. Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. 
your such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I may make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. The darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I wake, I'm still with you. If only you, God, would slay the wicked. Away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. This is the word of the Lord. What did you feel? Did you feel a groove to that song? Did you feel a connection? Did you feel that there was a dissonance? Did the psalm move you and touch your soul? Did it give you a sense of longing for that to be true in your own life? Did it bring fear? Did it bring hope? Did it bring a feeling of anxiousness or of peace? I'm asking you these questions not for my own benefit or curiosity, but for yours. The Psalm of David demonstrates two components necessary for us to get into that groove. The first is truth. And the second is a response. But let's first look at this component of truth. There are four truths of which the writer talks about or elaborates on. And I suggest to you that if you want to learn the cadence, the rhythm, the beat, the movements, the way of life as it should be, really get into that groove, you must know some truths about God. A.W. Tozer wrote in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. The truths we read here tell us about God, but also ourselves. This psalm, it's unlike any other psalm in, when it comes to its depth of theology. It's the one psalm that it talks about his, these, some big words here, his omniscience, his omnipresence, his omnipotence, and his 
justice even. We'll go through those so you know what those mean in a second here. And let's just look at it. It's so well organized. Let's go back and look in our Bibles and see how it's organized. In verses 1 through 6, the first section, it shows us the knowledge of God. That's his omniscience. He knows it all. If you read through, you see that there's nothing that's too big for him to understand. And nothing is too small for him to miss. In the next section, verses 7 through 12, it shows us his presence, God's presence. That's his omnipresence, that he is there in it all. And, and there's no place that's too far for him to which he can't come find us. And there's no place too dark in which he can't see us. In the third section, verses 13 through 18, show us the power of God. That's his omnipotence. Look there. If you read this, you see, you see that no creation happens outside of God's hand in it. Every part of who you are is made by him. Even the smallest and most unknown parts of yourself he created. Lastly, verses 19, 19 through 24, we see God's justice. He holds the scales. When it comes to right and wrong, God brings all to justice and correction. His enemies, as David describes, but also his worshipers. As David asks him, search me and see if there be an offensive way in me. There's so much to go through in this psalm. We could teach an entire seminary course, graduate level course or two on it. But it's, an, it's important, and I want you to see that the truths that are accompanying these beautiful, this beautiful psalm, that they're important, because past the rhetoric, past the imagery, past just the poetic devices that are there, past the feelings that this psalm brings, they are good, they are great, but they're really baseless, they're really worthless, they really mean nothing if what it's talking about is untrue. This psalm is more than just a quick read. It's more than just a pretty song. It's something that can be thought about at great lengths. You can come back to it. You can bring friends back to it and marvel at it together. And isn't that what every great song does? It has depth to it. And you can keep going back to it. And so, of course, there's more to this psalm than just even what we've read so far. If you dig deeper into it, anyone who has some sort of self-awareness would probably have already seen this. But we learn um, as much about ourselves almost as we do about God in this psalm. I mean, look at it. Think about it. If God knows everything, and he knows everything about me, that means I'm known. That means I have an identity. If God is everywhere and he can go anywhere to find me and he will do that, that means I'm not alone. That means I have a place where I belong. If God created everything, everything in myself even, including my mind, my spirit, my soul, my, my passions, that means I'm not random, but I've been created on purpose. 
there's a reason we connect with this psalm because it touches us at our core. When <laughs> every person in the world, nearly every decade of their life, asks the same and re-ask the same three questions. Who am I? Where do I fit in? What am I supposed to be doing? Every person wants to know these answers and they want to be sure of it. You know, these are common and these are core to who we are. When we know these, this is how we live life in the groove. When we know these for certain. And listen, so many of us try to discover these answers to these burning questions. But we often look in the wrong places. We come up empty. Or worse, we come up hurt and rejected. I'll give you three examples to see maybe how this fits in with you and your life. First, there's the teenager who wears different types of clothes every few months. They cycle between friend groups and interests constantly. You know, one minute she's into punk rock, the next she's into country. Um, then it's all about sports, or then it's all about video games and fantasy. And then finally you see, you know, some sort of carelessness or just rebel going on. Why? This person is asking, where do I fit in? Who will accept me? Where will I finally feel like I belong? Then there's the young adult. Maybe you know this person. Maybe this is you. You've bounced around from major to major in your college experience so far. And, you know, four years into it, you're no closer to graduating than you were your freshman year. You take a break from school and you don't really want to look for a job and you're asked why by your parents and maybe you don't even have the answer. But really, what, what this person has been asking the whole time is what am I supposed to do with my life? What kind of impact am I supposed to have on this world? Does my life even have a purpose here? Lastly, there's the spouse. There's the spouse who, he's been faithful in his marriage of 25 years to his college sweetheart, but he begins to feel restless. He feels unnoticed at work, unnoticed at home. He hasn't had a solid friend for a good while. And so he goes to the gym. He, he, he spends more time there because he feels like he can make himself noticed. He starts talking to the women there, and before he knows that he's had an affair, his world is crashing down around him, and innumerable hurt has happened to both his wife and his children. All he was trying to do was find a sense of being known. Who am I? What value do I have? Does anybody love me for me? anymore? You see, we go to great lengths to find out who we are, where we belong, and what we should do. And most times we end up hurt or hurting others in the pursuit of that. And so we build up our walls and we're skeptical of anyone who says that they have the truth of getting into the groove, of knowing what we should be doing, who we are and where we belong. But but what if there was someone who knew? 
What if there was someone with the answer, who had the answer for us? Don't you see it? The God of the universe knows who you are. The God of the universe chases after you. The God of the universe made you on purpose. Do you want to know more about yourself? Then get to know him. He knows everything about you. But to do that, you will have to respond to the truth of him. You'll have to respond the way that the psalmist responds in Psalm 139. So there's three different ways that you can respond. We'll go over those as we finish up here. The first is you can respond in denial. That's pretty self-explanatory. You can deny the truth of who God is and what that means for your life. You might have read this psalm and you might agree that, hey, I'm asking these types of questions and I want to know the answers. But you can just flat out deny or, or reject the truth that's being read or being claimed here. And for one reason or another, you conclude that this God, he does not have the answers for you. You know, maybe you're saying, I've been let down by him one too many times. Or maybe you're saying, I don't need a crutch like religion to teach me the answers to life. Or maybe you believe you found these answers somewhere else. If you think the answers lie outside of the God of the Bible and in Jesus, let me just make a plea, to, two quick pleas to you. First, let me just say that wherever you go for these answers to life's biggest questions, these foundational questions that we have, please go to foundational sources. Go to a creator, not to the creation. If you don't, you'll be looking towards those created things like like your job, like your emotions, like your friend group, like your hobbies, like drugs, relationships, money. I mean, it, going to those things to find your answer, it's almost as silly as the little girl who's trying to learn her name and she asks her stuffed animal to remind her her name when she could be turning to her parents to ask. Go to a foundational source for your foundational questions. My second plea to you is that if you really genuinely want to find answers and you have not yet taken a serious look at the God of the Bible and of Jesus, please stick with us for the next couple of minutes. Please just, just open yourself up to the truth of God just for the next few minutes because there are many here who worship with us, many who gather here because they have been convinced that Jesus has the answers, that God of the Bible has the answers to these deep core questions that we so long to be answered. I hope that you will allow yourself that opportunity just in the next few minutes. Let's move on to the second response that we can have, and that's the arrogant response. This is the response that plagues so many who are well-intentioned at the beginning. But time and again, they decide to keep God and his truth at arm's length. This person typically does two things really well after they hear the truth. They hear the truth, they say, yeah, that sounds great, awesome, I think it's right. 
But then number one, what they always do is they always criticize other people in light of the truth. And number two, what they do is that they will never criticize themselves. You see, this person sees the splinter in his friend's eye, but misses the log in his own. This person sings the entire song of Psalm 139 minus the last two verses. They fall short of receiving the truth for themselves. They might see the truth, but are unwilling to cede the power or the control or give up their pride or whatever it is to allow someone else to dictate or to admonish or to have the answer or to confront them with the truth that they have needs and they have errors. They think they have the answers in themselves or they think that they must fix their own problems themselves or they are too wounded by fake truths that have left them high and dry in the past. And so they wall themselves up. Both the response of denial and the response of arrogance, they deceive people and they take them down the road of hopelessness and the road of despair. But I have to warn you, that arrogant response, that is the most deadly because this person thinks that they are right and in no need of help. They will never turn or they will never look for the help that they so desperately need. This is why Jesus said to his disciples in Luke chapter 12, he said, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. The arrogant accept the truth, but then try to live their life on their own powers and in their own ways. Then when the day of judgment comes, they will be found wanting. They will not measure up. And what they will do is, is that they will either blame someone else or they will blame God. They will have missed out on a life of joy and contentment and living in that group, even though they were so close. Because their pride and their arrogance stood in the way. Instead of denial, instead of arrogance, there is a third way. And it's the only right response any human can have when confronted by the truth of God. It's a humble it's a vulnerable acceptance. We have been talking about these truths of God that lead us to truth about ourselves, but all of that only comes together to take us into the groove if, get this, if, if we vulnerably open our souls to admit our need and change. You see, if a musician is told all about the right way to play a song, you know, the right tempo, the right beat, the right melody, the right uh, notes, the right scales, if they're told all that but they reject it as truth, then they will never play the song. If a musician is told all of that about how to play the song correctly but they're too arrogant 
to ever look at themselves and ask, hey, am I playing that the right way? They might be somewhere near the song, but they'll never be in that groove. But if the musician hears the truth, if the musician accepts the truth, if the musician opens himself up to be critiqued and changed and made better by the truth, then that musician will be playing in that groove. You see, only when we allow ourselves to hear the truth and admit our need for it will it change us. Admitting our need can be scary though, and rightly so. Because we have to be honest with our true selves. Who wants to do that? What if I'm told I need to change? What if the change hurts? What if I'm just outright rejected when they tell me the truth and I open myself up to them? What if, for me, change is impossible? What if I'm impossible to change? What if I'm too far gone? Vulnerability can feel like death. We feel like we must protect our hearts. But you see, we have a condition in our hearts that needs surgery. It needs correction. It needs saving. And you know that. That's why Psalm 139 hits you deep. That's why you want it to be true. That's why you want to be able to sing it yourself. You see, when, when you have to have heart surgery, it's a life or death situation. You can respond to the truth by just denying it and not doing anything about it. You can arrogantly accept the truth and think that you're going to be the one to fix it. But we know that the only way for you to really save your life through heart surgery is that you, you have to be, you have to surrender to first an anesthetic. You have to have your rib cage ripped open. And you have to let the surgeon go to work. That's such a vulnerable experience. Would you do it to save your life? Would you allow it to save your your spiritual life? Would you allow the truth of God to enter into your soul, to speak into your identity, into your belonging, into your purpose? Would you allow God to search you, to speak correction and truth into your life? I urge you to, I beg you to, with abandonment, as David does. Say, search me, God. Show me what's wrong with me. Change me. Lead me in the way of everlasting. Turn me. Test me. Know me. I want to know my identity. I want to know my purpose. I want to know my belonging. And if I've done something that has gotten in the way, Lord, search me. Show me. Change me. But how can I? How can anyone say this? I'll never stand the test. You, I'll be seen as that enemy that David says, I hate and, he's gonna, and he needs to die. I'll be taken out. I'll be judged. 
won't tie. Yes. Yes. But there's one important truth that's missing here in this psalm. You see, David knows this truth. To David, it's a foundational truth about who God is. He doesn't even think he has to write it. If we look backwards in Psalm 138, just before this, we see what that truth is. In Psalm 138, verses 2, starting in verse 2, David says, I will praise your name for your unfailing love and your faithfulness. In verses 6 and 7, David says, Though the Lord is exalted, he looks kindly on the lowly. Though lofty, he sees from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you, you preserve my life. With your right hand, you save me. The God that David is singing to is not one of just great power and knowledge and justice, but one of great mercy and grace and faithfulness. This is the God you can ask to search you and then find rest in his graciousness and his faithfulness and his saving nature. That's towards all those who are lowly, towards all those who are vulnerable, towards all those who admit their need for him. Getting into the groove, it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that God is going to tell you exactly what to play and when to play it. Any good musician will tell you, you can't play music like a robot. Getting into the groove of life is more like a give and take with God. Once you turn towards him in your vulnerability and admit your need and you accept his truth, then you start playing the song. But you constantly have to refer back to him to see, am I on beat? Am I still <laughs> playing the right notes? Am I still in the right key? If you allow him to continually speak into your life, his truth and his grace will meet your vulnerability and cause true transformation and you will be in the groove. You will see change, you will see transformation though through growing pains. But over the course of your life, you'll become more and more who he intends you to be through praying, through playing rather, through playing and perfecting your relationship with God, you will grow to know your place in this world. He's not going to really tell you exactly what notes to play, but you will learn what it's supposed to sound like and what it's supposed to feel like. And so when we read Psalm 139 and we have that dissonance, we have that feeling of expectation and hope of what it could be. That's what that groove is. We connect with that psalm because we desire it to be true in our lives and we know we can't get there on our own. So I challenge you today to open up yourself to the truth of God. 
What do his words in the Bible have to say to you? Are you willing to sit with them? How are you sitting with them? How often are you sitting with them? Are you letting his words, his truth come to you daily, weekly, monthly? One minute at a time, one hour at a time, days at a time. Are you doing this by yourself or with others? Are you going to God for his truth only when things are a mess? Or only when things are good? Take this opportunity to be vulnerable with God. Let his words be a guide to get you to the groove. Let them correct you and cause real change and transformation so that you might play the song you were made for more and more each and every day. And you can do this vulnerably and with assurance because God stepped out first. God vulnerably opened himself up when he created us when he created us to be in relationship with him. The way that humanity responded was to reject him and turn to worship and trust the creation rather than the creator. Then to save us from the judgment we so well deserve because of that rejection and rebellion, God took another step, an action of vulnerability, one that we could never fathom. He sent his only son, Jesus to die in our place to be judged in our place Jesus would relinquish his status relinquish his power to become human experiencing the same questions the same challenges the same struggles the same pains that we do as humans on earth in the end living a perfect life he would still be let down by his closest friends betrayed by his community sent to be tortured and then die on a cross of shame though he could say he'd be the only one who could ever say search me god search me and be found innocent he is the only one but instead he died a wicked person's death so that we might trade places and be found innocent though we know we don't deserve it and we know that we aren't. His vulnerability led to death for him so that our vulnerability might lead to life. Can you be vulnerable to a God like that? Can you be vulnerable to a God who sacrifices himself for you? I think you can. And I pray, I pray that you do. Father, we come humbly before you, confessing our shortcomings, our failures, the ways that we turn away from you and against you. God, we long to be known we long to have a place of belonging. We long to know our purpose. We long to be on the path everlasting, the right, true way with you, what we were designed to be. And Jesus, we admit our need. Let us help us admit our need. Help us to kneel humbly before you. Help us to admit our error.
Help us to turn to you and accept your truth and be changed by your spirit. Move in us and around us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening to the Journey Christian Church podcast. If you would like to support us as we pursue God and love people one at a time, please consider giving a tax-deductible donation by visiting journeycc.net backslash giving.